One of the privileges I've had in the ministry is when people are in crisis, we go on visitation and we're, we're able to be with them often in an emergency room. This was especially true as a children's pastor and a youth pastor because kids get in lots of accidents and parents, we get scared. And so that's what the emergency room is for. And so what happened frequently when I would go to the emergency room is the symptom ended up being dehydration. People had not been drinking enough water because of that. Uh, because of that, they began to feel weak and they began to have intense headaches. There's a variety of different symptoms that happen when you don't drink water. In fact, it got to where at times I would come in and I would begin to question them like a daughter, uh, excuse me, like a doctor. And I would begin to, to say, to ask them, have you been drinking a lot? Have they started the IVs? And I would go on to tell them, once they start the IVs, you're going to start feeling better. And they thought I had this remarkable medical knowledge, but it was just simply observation over the years. Our body is made up of, of water. And when we don't drink enough water, uh, we end up not feeling well. I find that when I'm having headaches or I'm not sleeping well, or there's a variety of different symptoms in my life. I like the, the black stuff. I like coffee. I like soda. So when I drink more water, that is often, often uh, the cure for some of my different symptoms. So that is just your unsolicited advice from Dr. Aaron here today. Y'all want to go ahead and end the sermon or drink more water? Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you, right? We could do that. Well, I don't give a whole lot of advice when it comes to, to, you know, to physical things, but that advice is pretty sound because civilization has been organizing around water since the beginning of mankind. Rivers, lakes, springs, that's where people have gathered because people have to have water to live. You can go a few days without food and survive. But besides air, water is the most important component we have. We have to have water on a regular basis. Water keeps us alive. Our missionaries today, the missionaries that you help support with your giving, every month we send out gifts to missionaries. Many of them are using clean water as a doorway to people who have not heard the message of the gospel. People all over the world need clean water. So in villages that are obscure or have not been educated or have not understand the value of clean water, when missionaries go into those communities and they, they help provide clean water by digging a well or providing a water filter, it opens the door to the gospel. Water is very important. And throughout the history of the world, those who have been economically disadvantaged have been looking for good water. And this was exactly what is happening and what happened in Isaiah's day. And it's happening today. Those people with economic challenges need clean water. So now we go to Isaiah chapter 41, starting with verse 17. And God was sending a message to his people. As you know, if you've been part of the series, the series is called Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the name of God. And the name Isaiah means Yahweh saves. Isaiah was speaking for God to the people. And in Isaiah 41, verse 17, he says it this way. When the poor and needy seek water, this is what's happening, both in the time that this message was given and happening today. And there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Verse 18 is our key verse. The title of this message is Open Rivers, and it says it this way. I will open rivers 
on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. And I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. And I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together. Verse 20 gives the reason why God does this. That they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created this. Let's go back to verse 17. Let me point out a few things about this. Excuse me, let's go on to verse 18. I've already talked about this. I will open rivers on the bare heights. What's the bare heights? Well, there's a reason why the Rocky Mountains are called the Rocky Mountains. It's because past the tree line, there comes a point where vegetation does not grow easily. There are not trees. There are not raging winter, uh, excuse, excuse, excuse me, raging rivers. There may be some snow runoff, but there is just rock. And that's what the barren heights are. It's a place where there's not fruitfulness. Now, it goes on and the scripture says, and fountains in the midst of the valleys. Have you heard of Death Valley? The lowest place, certainly in North America, maybe the world. Death Valley is hot. It's a desert. There's not much life there because it's so low. So in the really, really high places where there's no fruit and there's no growth, and in the really low places, the desert, arid places, God says, I'm going to make rivers and there's going to be a pool of water and there are going to be springs. There's going to be good things there. Everybody needs water. It's essential for us to live. Today, God wants you to focus on an open river in your life, an open river. And the first thing that I want to point out to you is this. And you're going to want to write this down. Three very simple points. First thing is your need. Your need. Living water. Everybody needs water. And I want water today to represent what your deepest need is. Everybody has something they think will make them complete. What is your deepest need? What is that which is nagging you? It's bugging you. It it captures your imagination. It captures your daydreams. And you think, this is what would make me better. This is what would make me complete. This is what would make my life more significant. It's easy to think of money because we've all played the game. It's fun to play. And we imagine that we're the lotto ball winner and we have multiple millions of dollars to spend. Wouldn't life be easy then? Relationally, sometimes our water could be the idea of a spouse or a spouse we actually like. And I hope you like your spouse. If you don't, through God's help, you will someday. A desire for your children, a desire to see your children reach a certain amount of success, uh, a certain professional accomplishment. And you, you hope you can, if I could just reach that coal, if I could reach that platform, if I could get that opportunity, if that would happen, it would fulfill my deepest need. Now, I want you to know something. God cares about your deepest need. One of the messages of the scripture is this. If God cares for the poor 
and the needy, and he wants them to have water. He wants them to have sustainability. He wants them to have life. He cares for the Having that, we do record these and put these on podcasts, so it, it helps having the microphone. So Jesus, Jesus cares about your deepest need, and and I want you to know this is that the details of your life He cares about. If you start marginalizing God and, and saying God only cares about big issues, but He doesn't care about little details, then He becomes smaller in your life. God remains big in your life when you let Him be part of even the small things. I want you to know that God cares about your vehicles. And he cares about your home repairs. And God cares about your cash flow. And God cares about your debt reduction. And God cares about your potential to have vacations that glorify him. And vacations that fit into your budget. And God cares about your relationships. And God cares about the choice of words that we use. And God cares about the attitude that we have towards service industry people who serve us. And uh, the fact that... Uh, we need to have Christ-like attitude towards all people. The little things God cares about. He cares about the little needs in your life. He cares about the little details. He wants you to have clean water. He wants you to have that which answers your deepest need. There's a need inside of you, your deepest need. There is an answer to your deepest need. There's an answer to your deepest need. That God cares about that. But the first thing is this, is realizing what truly is the water in your life. Because immediately we begin to think of these material things, things I've already mentioned, relationships and advancement and money and vacations and all the things that matter to us as if those tangible things would make everything better. But the truth is the water, the water is not something tangible. It's something intangible. Uh, It's something spiritual. It's something of the divine nature. And Jesus addressed this issue in John chapter four. In John chapter four, Jesus said these words. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Is that not a good message? There is a, there's a water. There is a water source. There is a life source that quenches your thirst forever and ever. It causes you to have a contentment. It causes you to have a rest. It causes your soul to be centered. And it comes from Jesus. There is something from him that will never make you thirsty again. Reading on the narrative, it says, The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I want you to imagine in your heart, there is a spring, a clean spring of good water. Your heart is not arid. It's not dry. It's not lifeless. It's not fruitless. You might feel like there's a desert there, but that's just an emotion. The truth is this. Through Jesus, there is a wellspring within you. There is a perpetual spring within you. There is something within you that never runs out, that never runs dry, that's never eliminated. It's a good, good thing within you that God wants you to have. God has that. Now, what is that? John chapter 7, Jesus explains this even further. In John chapter 7, it says this in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, 
If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Is that not a good thing? That's what he referred to in John chapter four. Now this answers the question, what is that water? Look at this. Now this he said about the spirit. He said that about the spirit. Now he goes on and qualifies and says, this is the spirit that was given to the believers, which is us. So it was important that people heard that. But this qualifier doesn't apply necessarily. We have the Holy Spirit, those of us who believe in Christ. It says, whom those who believed in him were to receive. We've already done that. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given. Not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He is now. But the, 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 the water is the spirit. The water is the spirit. I want you to have this word picture in your mind. Because some of us feel very dried up on the inside. We feel fruitless. We're not where we used to be. We feel dry. We're not seeing the productivity that we wish we had or that once was there. We could talk over and over again about how you got to the place where you are today. And there is value in that. But the truth is this. The only way, the only way to be fruitful, again, is to get near the water. You got to get near the water. What's the water? The water is the spirit. You got to get in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The things that make your spirit come alive. Communion with the Holy Spirit, who is a distinct person of the Godhead. He's right there within you. Walking in the Holy Spirit's power. Life comes near the river. Life comes near the water. Get near the water source and fruit's going to happen. That dry soil that has been called unuseful, that soil that's been called dead, that place in your life that doesn't produce fruit, that seems like a desert. If you get close to the water again, there'll be life again. There will be life again. God wants you to know that your need is before him and your need is in his eye. And he is going to send an open river to your need. He's going to send life. His spirit through Jesus is going to bring life to those places which are dead. Now it's summer and our youth right now are at summer camp in Panama city, Florida at a beach resort. I want you to imagine with me that we're at a beach resort at some Island somewhere far away. And I want you to imagine the smell of the salt water and the sand and the warm sun and the smell of suntan lotion and coconut and seafood, which I like that smell. No, all of you don't, but I like seafood. You are imagining right now the summer scene. And there on this place far away, there is a little shop. We'll call it Max's T-shirt Island Shop. I should have thought that through better, but how about that? And then Max's Island T-shirt shop. You're going to go in thinking you're going to be able to buy flip-flops, a bathing suit, suntan oil, all that type of stuff. But you go into, in the midst of all, all these smells and beach environment, you go into Max, Max's shop. And inside there are winter gloves. Inside there are ski jackets, snow ski material. Nothing in there related to the beach. It just doesn't fit. You imagine a place like that. There, there are some places geographically that you have certain expectations. When I'm able to travel to big cities like Chicago or New York, 
and I want to go to dinner in Chinatown. I go to dinner in Chinatown, not looking for Shane's Rib Shack. When I go to dinner in Chinatown, I don't want to go to Sopapilla's Mexican restaurant. I want Chinese food. Okay. That's a certain expectation. This is why the scripture was so powerful to those who heard the message from Isaiah. Because God was bringing a river to an unexpected place. He was doing something unexpected. The second thing I want you to write down is your place. Or type it out in your phone. You have a need, but you have a place. God wants to meet you at a certain place. God wants to do something at a certain place in your life. Verse 18, we'll look at that again. Verse 18 of Isaiah 41, it says, I will open rivers on the bare heights. There's not supposed to be life-giving rivers on the bare heights. And there's not supposed to be a rib shack in Chinatown. There's not supposed to be a snow ski store on the beach resort. But God says, I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valley. And I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Verse 19 goes on and talks more about this. I will put in the wilderness, the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, the olive. I will set in the desert, the cypress, the plain and the pine. Stay right there for a second. There, there are seven trees written there. Seven trees that are written. God's very specific. I got a little ahead of myself, but that's one of the points I wanted to make earlier when I talked about God caring about the details of your life. God named these trees for a reason. Now, seven is the number of completion in God. I don't think it's an accident that he chose seven specific trees. God is getting into the detail of the land. He's getting into the detail of his promise. He's getting into the detail of what he wants to see happen. Now I want to say something, and this is kind of, this is kind of a sidebar part to this message. And what I'm about to tell you is not politically motivated in the least. You know, I don't preach politics at all. That's, I leave that to CNN and Fox news. They can talk politics all day. We talk the coming of the kingdom of God, but I will say this. I'm going to say this is that it is okay to be a Christian and to care about the environment. It's okay to do that. That's not a commentary on how that's applied. But God cares about creation because he made it. God cares about the environment because he's going to redeem it. Jesus is going to rule and reign and he's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth and places that have no fruit now. He's going to put specific trees like this. He is going to make this world new again. He cares about creation and so however you interpret that, you should care about creation also. That's important. That's good. God's going to make something, an area, a place that was not fruitful, an area that, that could be considered unproductive, productive again. What I feel like the Lord's saying to you about this is that there is a place that you've called dead. There is a place that you've called fruitless. There is a place that you have said there is no fruit there. There are no trees there. There's no vegetation there. That part of my life is done. That part of my life is over. And it may be that God wants you to hear this message this morning because he is saying, I'm going to bring open rivers. 
in that high mountainous place where there's no fruit. And I'm going to bring pools of water in the wilderness. And I'm going to bring in that desert place, in that low valley, springs of water. God's going to bring as a, an answer to your need in a place you never suspect. God doesn't just answer your need. He answers your need where you don't suspect him to be. He often answers your need in a place you thought he couldn't go anymore. He often comes and shows up and makes something fruitful that you and others around you had declared dead and gone. That's what our God has the ability to do. He's awesome, isn't he? He's wonderful. And there's some area of life, and the Holy Spirit will have to make this known to you, that the Lord wants you to hope in again today. The Lord wants you to put hope in his plan for that area you said was a desert and a wasteland and would never have fruit again. The Holy Spirit's going to give you new hope there for a very particular reason. There's a reason why God wants you to hope again. I'm going to tell you about that in just a moment. Before I do, I want to tell you about uh, something that happened growing up. And this is really kind of fun that I can tell this story today uh, because I have two of my cousins uh, from Texas that today is their 40th birthday. They are twins and they're here in church today. So that's pretty cool. Barbie and Angie, will you all wave your hand so people know who you are? So uh, Barbie and Angie are here today. Uh, We did not get to spend a lot of time together growing up because we just had different things going on. But Angie lives here in Hendersonville, so it's great. It's great to be building that relationship with them again. But my grandmother was very close to them. And I want to tell a story about my grandmother. Uh, My parents uh, were very hardworking people. My dad was a plumber, and my mom was a school teacher. And we had five of us living in a pretty small house. And we all had responsibilities. We all had chores or things we were supposed to do. But when you have five people living in a really small house, you never have the house completely clean. I mean, that's just impossible. I know that I've got five people living in a house right now, and it's impossible to keep a house clean because houses are meant to be lived in, right? And so this would happen, and we all did our chores and worked hard, but you understand how that goes. You're never going to have your house ready for a realtor unless you have hired a realtor, right? But occasionally, occasionally I would come home from school No, my mom had been working that day, teaching school. Dad had been doing his work. I'd come home, and miraculously, our house, from top to bottom, every part of it was immaculate. It was so clean. And I knew that my grandma had come and broken into our house and decided, as a favor to my parents, to clean the house from top to bottom. And so you would walk in the home and see the condition of the home. And I just knew this is the hand of grandma. This is, we called her Hama. This was Hama. Hama was here. There is no doubt her hand was in this place. Now, the bad part about that is that meant for several days, I couldn't find where my socks were, my underwear, my shirts, because she had rearranged the whole house. But there was no doubt that she had left her mark. She had left her hand. Even though I had not seen her there, I knew her hand had been there. Now, I want you to know this. God has a character and God has a personality and God cares about the details of your life. And our God's involved with you. And there are some times that there are going to be occurrences in your life that are simply the hand of God. Your need and your place. Here's the last thing I want you to write down. Your God. Your God who is personal, who's involved who cares about the details of your life. 
I want you to have eyes of faith. And eyes of faith means often you have to see things as a child would see them. Because if you're always looking through eyes of cynicism and eyes of complaint and eyes of dissatisfaction, you won't see the hand of God. But if you begin to look with the eyes of a child, with faith and expectation and relationship, believing that your God is moving in your life and your God cares about the details of your life and your God is active in your life. If you believe your God is moving in that way and you have the eyes of faith to see, you're going to see the hand of God like no other, no other hand in your life. We talked about the hand of God last week. What's the hand of God? It's his authority. It's his power. It's his ability to bring justice. So all the things that God's doing in your life, why is he doing that? Why is God doing all this in your life? Let's look at verse 20 now. Back to Isaiah 41. Verse 20 says it this way. That they may see and know, may consider and understand together. That's what we're doing today. That's why we're together. That the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. I don't know about you, but I want to have spiritual eyes to see the hand of God in operation in my church, in my life, in my marriage, in my family. I want things that God has touched. I want to see things that God can, that can only be explained as it has to be God. God's gotten involved and he's touched. And when God gets involved, he comes and he touches our deepest need in a place we don't suspect. He touches our deepest need in a place that we had called fruitless. He comes and he touches our deepest need in a place that we didn't know he would be there. Let's read the narrative again, starting at the beginning, verse 17. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valley. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land spring, springs of water. He goes on and he says, I will put in the wilderness. He lists the trees. Now let's go to 20. That they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. I am calling you and I to open up eyes of faith, to believe that our God is active, our God's involved, our God's concerned. And instead of complaining about what God hasn't done, would we open our eyes to what he's already done? Instead of uh, manipulating God and trying to get him to get on our agenda, why can't we open our eyes and see that God is with us? He's imminent. He's God. That's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And he is working now. And he is opening our eyes to possibilities that we haven't been able to see before. A scripture that has just gripped me is first Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11 says it this way. Yours, O Lord, it's a prayer. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Is that not a beautiful prayer? That's a beautiful prayer that's gripped my heart. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3, repeats the theme we've discussed today. It says it this way, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing 
on your descendants. I see this word picture. God gave us this word picture. I see it for your life. I see it for my life. I see it for our church. I want you to see it with me. That areas that are dry, areas that are thirsty, areas that need the touch of God, his spirit's going to come and he's going to bring life where there's death, fruit where there's fruitlessness, nourishment where there has, has been death and decay. God is sending his spirit and he is the one that wants to do a great work within us. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we've declared your scripture today. Lord, we thank you for the words you've given through Isaiah. Lord, you gave them to a people who needed to hear your word. And we are that people this morning. We need your perspective. We need your hope. Lord, we need your word. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you're working even when we have not had the maturity to see where you're working. Lord, we thank you that you're working even when we can't see it. By faith, open up our eyes so that we can see it again. Father, I pray for dry places. Lord, places, Lord, where there is no fruit places where there's no life. I want you to imagine that place right now, whether it's a relationship, whether it's your spiritual life, whether it's a dream, whether it's a a, a child and and you're not seeing fruit in that child that you want to see. And by faith, Lord, we are asking for your reign. We're asking God for a miracle. We're asking for new springs, for pools of water. Lord, for rivers where there's not supposed to be rivers. And Lord, we know the river and the water and the stream and the spring is not something mystical that we cannot identify. It is your spirit. It is your involvement. It is your life. And it is your love. And so, Lord, we worship you. And we thank you and we praise you for that. I want to ask that our ushers begin to position themselves to distribute the communion today because we have a chance today on this second Sunday of the month to take communion as a body. And I think there's no better symbol of the scripture we have today than Jesus and what he did on the cross. Because when Jesus was on the cross, the world, and perhaps the enemy, thought they had the victory. They thought it was a dark day. They, they thought it was a desert for the work of God and the kingdom of God. They thought it was a place of, of no fruitfulness. But we now know through the scripture, it was a place of victory. The cross was a place of fruitfulness. The cross was a place that was not the end, it was the beginning. The cross wasn't the finishing place, it was the starting place of our relationship in the new covenant of the Lord. And I want you to know some places you think are dead, and some places you think are barren, and some places you think are fruitless, and the world would say those places are gone and dead and over. It could be the beginning of of something new. That which was an end can be the beginning when God gets involved. God may be sending a river. God may be springing up a new spring. God may be bringing a pool of water in a desperate place and the cross declares that he has the ability to do it. Our God did not get executed. He volunteered his life and he willingly gave up his life as part of God's plan. And on the third day, his resurrection proved that he was in control the whole time, that he had a bigger plan. He had a bigger purpose, that he knew what he was doing. It was not an accident. It was intentional. And the resurrection is a sign to you that our God is making all things new. He's making all things new in your life. And he is is at work in your life. And the bread and the cup represent his greatness. And so this morning we will remember his death 
and his sacrifice, but we also proclaim his resurrection. And we declare that Jesus is coming again and he's coming again for his people and he's coming again to show this world what a righteous and holy king does when he rules and reigns and he is good. I'm gonna ask you to take the elements when they're passed here in a moment after we pray and take the elements and hold them and begin to examine your heart. And if there's any known sin in your life, confess those to the Lord, make things right with him. And then I'll come back in a couple minutes and we'll all pray together. And then we'll all take communion together and we will do so in victory because of what Jesus has done.